Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And this week's show again is all about the 2022 FIFA World Cup, with Morocco becoming the fourth African team to reach the quarterfinals. We'll be going to Ghana and look at the fallout after the Black Stars group stage exit. The supporters at the stadium held a party hours before the game because they thought it was supposed to be a done deal. That's coming later. Also, Stuart looks at the statistics of World Cup penalty shootouts. Well, so Africa is still alive at this World Cup with Morocco making history as they became the fourth African team to reach the quarter-final stage, uh, following on from Cameroon in 1990, Senegal in 2002 and Ghana in 2010. Well, the Atlas Lions stunned Spain 3-0 on penalties after a goalless 120 minutes. His jubilant Morocco fans after the win. I'm feeling so happy, so proud to be Moroccan, so grateful. We weren't expecting such a beautiful match. The penalties were hectic, stressful. I was in the bathroom hiding because I was too scared. But alhamdulillah. It was an amazing game. It was a tough game. With this spirit, with this team management, they could be reaching to the finals, hopefully. A hundred percent, obviously. We will get the trophy. Inshallah, why not? (laughs) Nothing is impossible. Sky is the limit. Of course we will go to final. That audio from TRT World. Uh, Well, Ida, Morocco have looked good at the tournament, haven't they? Good is an understatement, Steve. They are currently unbeaten. They shaved points off 2018 runners-up Croatia. They took maximum points from the highest-ranked team, Belgium. And they beat 2010 World Cup winners, Spain. They've also just conceded once, which was an own goal, by the way. I mean, it's incredible. And Steve, over the last couple of weeks, and indeed over a much longer period, we have regularly talked about the gains made by Moroccan football, you know, the incredible investment made by the royal family to support this development. So I'm not going to get into that today. Instead, I want to focus on the massive change brought about by Coach Wali Dragragi. And look, I'm sure that there were many naysayers when he was appointed barely a 100 days to the World Cup. But what a necessary change. Yes, to bringing back formerly exiled players, if you will, players who have turned the team around, but also to taking care of the, quote, small things, you know, which really are the big things, if you think about it, like player welfare and mood, you know. For the first time, Steve, the players' families are staying with them in camp in Qatar on the Moroccan Federation's sponsorship, something that indeed other coaches would probably view as a distraction. But Regragi understands that these are the soft skills that matter in the end. And even looking at it strictly from a financial standpoint, you know, the $17 million that the team has already earned by getting to the quarterfinals means that it's given back its federation a return on investment and then some. I mean, this is the sort of forward thinking that African football needs. 
And on a human level, the world saw those pictures of Hakimi celebrating with his mom. And Regragi as well, Steve. I mean, the coach's mom actually said that in all her 50 plus years living in France, that this was the first time she left for a competition her son is in. I mean, who would believe that this is the same team that crashed out of the Afghan at the quarters? But Steve, it does have to be said that there is lots of political and historical nuance, you know, surrounding the North African team playing in this first World Cup in an Arab country. But for a moment in time, all that was forgotten. It was a brilliant yardstick for African football. Next up for Morocco, Portugal. The North Africans will no doubt draw some inspiration, you know, from those who came before them, specifically the 1986 team that beat Portugal in the group stage, you know, and it became the first African country, actually, to reach the knockout round of the tournament where they lost to West Germany. Steve, you reminded me earlier that we recently both correctly called it that two African teams would get to the round of 16 and one in the quarters. And Morocco ranked 22nd in the world currently, the lowest of any team left in the World Cup. Well, I think they have a really good shot of getting past Portugal. They became the first African team to get to the knockout rounds in 1986, and maybe they can become the first African team to get to the semis. Yes, and Morocco's quarterfinal against Portugal is on Saturday as they carry the hopes of the continent. And a Senegal went out at the round of 16 stage, carrying big hopes for Africa, but a 3-0 loss to England saw them going out. And a Cameroon exited at the group stage, but they did it in style, bowing out with a defeat of Brazil. Steve, I like to think that Cameroon bowed out in the dramatic fashion, the same dramatic fashion that followed them pretty much throughout the group stage. You know, not too long ago, we said that the indomitable Lions, well, they sure do like to make things a bit harder for themselves than necessary at times. And that drama isn't often too far behind for them. And sure enough, a dramatic late winner by Vincent Abubakar. He took his shirt off and he got sent off. (laughs) But all in all, I'm sure a remarkable moment for him. It was also the first time that an African side beat Brazil at the World Cup. Albeit it was a Brazil that saw coach Tite make nine changes to the Seleção. And this had them taste their first defeat in the group stage since 1998. But it does make you wonder, Steve, just what Cameroon would have been able to achieve had they been consistent. Yes, those in-house problems have been a regular feature for Cameroon over the years at the World Cup. And in a major controversy, the Cameroon Football Association president, Samuel Eto, has issued an apology for kicking a man believed to be an Algerian supporter outside the stadium after the Brazil-South Korea match on Monday. Uh, the video circulated widely on social media and painted a bad picture of Eto, who is, of course, a legend of African football. Well, Steve, a legend, yes. Uh, but I think even more importantly in this context, uh, Qatar 2022 World Cup Legacy Ambassador. It's a role he's held since 2019. And let's also not forget that he is the FECA foot president. 
It's said that the Algerian supporter, well, he provoked a tour by bringing up the qualifier that Algeria lost to Cameroon, you know, that booted the North Africans from a possible World Cup. Now, many remember how controversial that game was. I mean, Algeria even asked for a replay. And it's said that the Algerian, who allegedly is a YouTuber by the name Saeed Mamouni, well, it's said that he asked a tour if Cameroon had bribed the referee, pretty much provoking that reaction from a tour. Well, Steve, the football legend has since apologized via his socials, but it's something that one would imagine that a person of his repute and caliber would be able to withstand, you know, without reacting in such a vile manner. He said that this wasn't the first time and that he has been hounded by Algerian supporters since the match happened, you know, probably likening it to the fact that everyone does have their limit. But look, still, (laughs) with great power, Steve, comes great responsibility. Yes, uh, indeed. And Eto said he behaved in a way that does not match his personality. Thanks, Ida. We're next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. We're going to focus on Ghana, who made a group stage exit, uh, starting off with a defeat to Portugal, uh, then a great win over South Korea, and it came down to their last game against Uruguay, who had denied them a place in the semi-finals in 2010, when Luis Suarez blocked a goal-bound ball with his hand. Uh, This was billed as a big revenge mission and uh, Ghana had an early penalty but it was very poorly taken by Dede Ayu and Uruguay went on to win 2-0. Well I spoke to Betty Yorson who was with the Black Stars team in Qatar. Uh, She's now back in Accra. I asked if there was maybe too much emotion in the game against Uruguay. Well I would say that the game against Uruguay the team together with the officials did not actually take that game very serious and so I, I, I didn't see that kind of emotion from the from the players. I think it's with the supporters that you can feel that emotion, the emotional connection there but with the players and the officials it was more of it's a done deal because even a night before Ghana will play against Uruguay, the discussion or the conversation was about Brazil because if Ghana is to come second in Group H, we were going to face Brazil. So that was what many of the officials at the team hotel were talking about. And so it, it clearly showed that they didn't go into the game with the same mentality that they went into the South Korea game. And that's because they were looking at the performance of Uruguay in the, in the tournament. They had not scored any, any goal. and They've not won any of their games. And they saw the South Korea game as an important game more than that of Uruguay because Ghana needed only a draw or a win to qualify out of the group. So Ghana had many options as compared to that of Uruguay. They did not really pay much attention to the game. And, and so mentally, they were defeated even before the game started. And and, and so it wasn't that um, it was such a hard or a difficult game for the Black Stars. But I would say that I was at the team's hotel and with the kind of um, atmosphere that I witnessed, with the kind of energy that I saw from the players and officials, they were so confident that they were going to walk over Uruguay to qualify out of the group. So that actually defeated them mentally. So it's an issue of overconfidence uh, by the sounds of it. So you're back home uh, in Accra now. Uh, What's the feeling among fans? Because you had told us before the tournament that uh, the expectations were not that high. 
Yeah, you know, expectations were not that high. But when the team won against South Korea, people started picking up their hopes because um, clearly when you watch a game against Portugal, you clearly see that the the team really played well. And I mean, unfortunately, one or two issues caused that defeat. And then against South Korea, the performance was an improved version of what they played against Portugal. And then hopes were high that against Uruguay, it should be a done deal. Even the supporters at the stadium held a party hours before the game because they thought it was supposed to be a done deal. Then the team flopped. And so it's it's been quite disappointing for Ghanaians back home. And I must say that, Steve, it's been one blame game to the other. Now, it is not a healthy discussion that's going on on social media and among football fans in Ghana and among journalists. It's been one blame game the other. Some are blaming the GFA for such a poor performance and they think that some officials of the FA should resign because of our performance at the AFCON. I mean, Ghana did not win any match at the AFCON and then... Uh, most supporters or most fans were hoping that the team with the performance that they exhibited in the two group games, they should have been able to qualify. And then they're not qualifying. They think that some officials of the FA should step down. They, there is a new, they, they, I mean, Ghana football needs a new direction, especially with the Black Stars. But I think one thing that has annoyed most Ghanaian fans the most is the announcement by Otuado. After we have exited during the press conference, he announced that he is stepping down as the head coach of the Black Stars. I mean, this has really angered a lot of Ghanaians. And so it is not a healthy discussion that's currently ongoing. Right, so see what happens in the aftermath of the Black Stars group stage exit. And uh, Betty, uh, give us your reflections being there in Qatar. It sounds like uh, you really enjoyed being at the World Cup, despite uh, what was... uh, Quite a lot of negativity ahead of the tournament. Yeah, I think there was so much negative reports that was in the media. But I must say that Qatar really prepared for this tournament. I mean, if you look at the money they pumped into this, you can clearly see they've really invested and really, really prepared for the hosting. It was an exciting tournament. I've been to some major tournaments. I must say that this was the best that I've witnessed. I mean, it was very convenient getting to all the various locations you want to go. Team Hotel, um. I mean, the various stadiums because it's easy and accessible. That's because the country is very small. And so it's not time wasting. Probably if you want to go to the stadium very early to get your reports done, you sit in the, in the, in the train or metro, they call it. In the next five, 10, 15 minutes, you are there. You are ready to, to roll. So I think that accessibility to the various stadiums was very easy and they made sure that things were very relaxed. I mean, most of their rules were very relaxed for the visitors that were coming. Even there was a hospital that if you have the higher card and you are a visitor, you have the higher card, you can go there for free um, treatment if you are ill. And so they really prepared for the tournament. They made sure that when there are matches ongoing and people are unable to buy match tickets, there is also a festival. That is what they call the fan festival, which is free to all. And so if you're unable to go and watch the football match, you can go to the fan festival and then go and enjoy. So they had a lot of events planned out for all the visitors that came to Qatar to, I mean, enjoy the World Cup. I was talking there to Planet Sport Football Africa's Betty Yorson, who's back in Accra in Ghana, having spent some time at the World Cup in Qatar. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, Stuart on penalty shootouts at the World Cup. 
Well, you can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA, and you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs too in our archive. To download, uh, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Let's go to social media now and on our Facebook page and on WhatsApp. We're asking for your thoughts on the World Cup throughout the tournament, uh, your views on the talking points. And uh, we got a lot of comments on a Morocco's a performance that's taken them through to the quarterfinals of the competition. Uh, Sideko Suno in the Gambia says, very impressive performance from the Atlas Lions. We're proud of you guys. Uh, Blender Dua Chan in Ethiopia says Morocco are a great team. They'll beat Portugal in the quarterfinals. We heard from Papua New Guinea and Mossong Bia says uh, good luck and uh, mega support from your brothers from the other side here in Papua New Guinea says Mossong. And in Uganda, feeling less optimistic is Mubarak Owen, who says the only reason that can see Portugal exiting at this World Cup at the hands of Morocco is the brief break given by FIFA. Uh, Mubarak referring there to the congested calendar as many players have come uh, straight from the leagues of Europe to play at the World Cup with uh, no break at all. And Abami Dele Ife Olua in Nigeria says Morocco till the end. These guys are playing wonderful football. And Kenny M. Moyo, a Zimbabwean living in South Africa, says the final for Morocco is just a matter of time. Uh, Sir Dom Chikezi in Nigeria says, uh, yes, Morocco can narrowly escape Portugal to make it through to the semi-finals and let them believe in themselves and stick to their game plan. Uh, Bruno Fernandes could be a great threat, but good luck to the Moroccans, says Sir Dom. And a Balong Baji in the Gambia says, to me, Cameroon and Morocco performed well. And Morocco played sharply against Spain energetically and they compacted their defence. I think they can reach the final and well done to Cameroon says Belong beating the mighty Brazil by playing with intensity well thanks for those views so you can continue to send us your comments on the World Cup you can go to our Facebook page Planet Sport Football Africa and post a comment there or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero that's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero as we continue to enjoy the World Cup together here at Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Now, on our website, at planetsport.tv, you can read Russ Bravo's blogs on the World Cup. It has been a World Cup of shocks so far. Here's Ephraim Tagu with Russ's blog on why we need to expect the unexpected. The surprises began on day three as unfancied Saudi Arabia hit back after trailing 1-0 against Argentina, hitting two second-half goals to win 2-1. World Cup high achievers Germany were beaten by Japan and then exited at the group stage, as did Belgium, who were shocked by Morocco. Tunisia beat France and Cameroon beat Brazil in other notable upsets in Qatar. Every team goes into a major international tournament aware of expectations. Some are just glad to be taking part. Some hope to impress and show how far they have come. Others expect to compete for the trophy. Often the surprises come when one side's desire and will to win is simply greater than their opponents on the day, even if the opposition's players are clearly better. Now, the Bible carries many stories of triumph against all odds. 
whether it's well-known examples like David and Goliath, Daniel in the lion's den, or Joshua and the Israelites putting God's plan into action to take the city of Jericho. Those apparently strong can be overcome by those who appear to be weak, and the wisdom of the world can be shown to be foolishness. A church begun by those on the fringes of society turned the world upside down thanks to the power of God's Spirit and the willingness of believers to have faith in God, despite the circumstances. And of course, the greatest comeback of all time remains the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, three days after his crucifixion. So we shouldn't be surprised when the unexpected happens in the sporting arena. We'll see if this World Cup will give us even more upsets, but we can know that as human beings made in the image of God, who offers us life in all its fullness, we have unlimited potential to exceed others' expectations. Well, many thanks uh, there to Planet Sport Football Africa's Ephraim Tagu. You can read this blog and others uh, in the blog section on our website, planetsport.tv. Uh, that one is titled, Why We Need to Learn to Expect the Unexpected. Well, now let's go to Stuart Weir, who's following the World Cup uh, from the UK. Uh, Stuart, what do you think about the tournament so far? Well, I think it's been great, Steve. I mean, beforehand there were claims that the attendance at this World Cup would be the lowest ever. But, you know, so far, uh, looking at the 48 group stage games, the average attendance was 51,000, with the highest being virtually 89,000 when Argentina played Mexico. And these figures are significantly higher than in Russia four years ago. TV figures have been great too. I mean, England against USA was the most-watched men's football match ever on American television. And let me give you six specific positive things that I've seen. It's been a more global World Cup, really, than ever, with three teams from Asia, Australia, Japan and Korea, reaching the knockout stage. Australia, of course, are not really Asia, but they play a part of Asia. And two Africans reaching the knockout stages, so that's great. I mean, the final eight, five from Europe, two from South America, one from Africa. Uh, we saw Stephanie Frappart become the first woman to officiate at a World Cup finals match and together with her two assistants made up an all-female trio at the Germany-Costa Rica game. We've seen fewer red and yellow cards than at previous World Cups. And that actually is very significant this year because we had the situation that if teams were level on points and goals, they'd be separated by fair play points based on yellow and red cards. Now, subs have made a really important contribution to this World Cup with, of course, five being allowed per game or six if it goes to extra time. And 20% of goals so far have come from subs, compared to only 9% in 2018. And the best example, perhaps, is when Japan beat Germany, they used all five subs, changed the shape, and both goals came from the subs. And also, Steve, I could tell you that we've seen less long shots and more goals from close range than ever, as teams are sort of playing more football than just shooting from distance. And finally, it looks to be a young man's World Cup with a hat-trick for Ramos for Portugal and goals for Saka and Bellingham for England. But Ronaldo, Cavani, Thomas Muller, Eden Hazard, 
for example, have struggled. Interesting, and as always, we have these dreaded penalty shootouts、uh, at the World Cup. Well, yes, I mean we've now come to the stage where games are increasingly、um, very cagey, and there's a greater chance of it almost being nil-nil at the end. And you know, we saw we saw Spain lose three-nil to Morocco、uh, with、uh, Hakimi of PSG scoring the winning penalty, and of course he was born in Spain. But Spain apparently had taken a thousand penalties in practice, but on the night they could not score one. Now there are some really interesting stats on the BBC website about World Cup penalty shootouts. Steve, I can tell you how to take a penalty because seventy-four percent of penalties which go to the right of the goalkeeper, and the same percentage that go to the left, are scored. But if you send your penalty down the middle. You've only got a fifty-fifty chance of scoring, and in a penalty shootout, the conversion rate is seventy-five percent for the first penalty, seventy-three for the second and third. Then, for the fourth penalty, it drops to sixty-four and sixty-five. Presumably, that's because teams put their best penalty taker first. And surprisingly, only two World Cup shootouts have gone to sudden death with a fifty-fifty. Conversion rate at that point, you know, were the people who didn't really want to take a penalty. Forwards, not surprisingly, with a seventy-five percent scoring rate, are more successful than defenders,、uh, with sixty-seven percent. And apparently, it's better to be right-footed than left-footed. Before this tournament, England had missed more penalties in World Cup shootouts than anyone else. Oh dear! And the, do you remember twenty fourteen? When Netherlands were in a penalty shootout with Costa Rica, and they brought on goalkeeper Tim Krul as a substitute in the 120th minute, and he saved two penalties and they won. Finally,、uh, I don't think this really means anything, Steve. But if the four quarterfinals were to go to penalties, based on track record, Argentina, Croatia, France would win, and Morocco and Portugal 50-50. Because they've each been in one shootout and won it. Well, so we、we'll、see how many shootouts we get in these quarterfinals. And what else have you got for us from the World Cup, Stuart? Any Manchester United fan watching Netherlands beating USA three-one must have been a bit bemused to see a team managed by Louis Van Gaal and goals being scored by Dilly Blint and Memphis Depay. As frankly, none of those three were really successful while at United. Brazil. Are the first team to use all twenty-six players, and halfway through a game, they brought on the third goalkeeper, Weverton, just to give him a bit of game time at the World Cup. When Portugal beat Switzerland, three of their goals were scored by Gonzalo Ramos, who is twenty-one, and one of their goals came from Pepe, who's thirty-nine. That's quite an age range. Pepe, in fact, is the second oldest player ever to score in the World Cup finals, and do you remember the oldest, Roger Miller? But another big story from that game was the decision to leave Cristiano Ronaldo on the bench.、Uh, it's not known if this was purely tactical or if the coach was responding to Ronaldo displaying his irritation at being substituted in the previous game. England. Are the only one of the 32 teams to go through the group stage without receiving a yellow card, and the last time that happened was 2010 when Spain did it. And Steve, 
Uh, I know you'd love this one. Enzo Fernandez scored for Argentina against Mexico wearing number 24 on his back, becoming the highest number ever to score in a World Cup. Not that impressive because, of course, until this year, you could only have 23. And I'm sure you noticed Julian Alvarez scoring for Argentina against Australia. The first player with a surname A to score for and against a country beginning with A. Memphis is in city in America, but when Netherlands took the lead against USA, it was Memphis Depay who scored the opening goal. And that's not the first time that had happened because Milan Rapic scored against Italy for Croatia in 2002. Now, we had a nice feature on Olivier Giroud last week and what a World Cup he's having. He scored three goals and that made him France's all-time leading goalscorer, one ahead of Thierry Henry. You know, when he lost his place in the Arsenal team in 2018, then struggled to get much game time at Chelsea, it looked as if his career might be over. But in less than a season and a half at AC Milan, he scored 16 goals, he's regained his place in the French team, and he's having a wonderful World Cup. Well done him. Yes, Olivier Giroud doing well for France and an exciting World Cup so far. Well, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi, and from Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a Passion for Sport production.